Welcome to a new realm of insights into the Korean Peninsula. At Korea Risk Group, we delve deep into the complexities of North and South Korea, offering bespoke analyses that empower decision makers. Whether you're in government, business or academia, our tailored solutions provide clarity in an opaque region. Let our team guide your strategy with data-driven insights and on-the-ground intelligence. Step into a world of informed decision-making and visit careerriskgroup.com today. and welcome to the NK News Podcast for the week beginning Monday the 5th of February. This is our second roundtable episode for the year in which we discuss some of the recent stories that have been covered on NK News and NK Pro. Today I'm joined in the studio by Colin Zwirko to my left, Anton Sokol in front of me and Ifang Bremer also in front of me. Welcome back on the show, colleagues. Hello. 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 All right, Ifang, tell me what theme will we start off with today? Yeah, I want to I uh, talk about a story I did with Jacob Bogle. He's one of the guys who researches North Korea based on satellite imagery. Uh-huh. And we just sto- did a story together. Wait, is um, he taking work, out of, work, work away from you, Colin? You're, you're pretty good with the satellite imagery. <laughs> There's plenty of room in the space. Okay, <laughs> the, the pie's big enough for all of us. All right, take us back to the satellite pie, Yifang. Yeah, so what he found is that North Korea added or renovated some 505 kilometers of coastal fencing around their borders. Okay, uh, wait, which coast are we talking about here? East and west. Oh, okay, yeah. wow. 500 kilometers on both sides of the Korean Peninsula. Yeah, so Gee. what that means is that now almost all of the North Korea's coast is fenced off. And mm. you have to imagine these are often electrified fences. Wow. So beaches are very difficult for most people to access Mm -hmm. and that's on top of the northern border and the southern border yes because the northern border they also added all the fencing in during covid even more fencing more layers of fencing along the rivers exactly exactly so what you now have is basically during the pandemic that north korea really used that time to reinforce fencing all over the country and wow all along all of its borders, including the sea. Now, if fencing, is that hard to see from a satellite image? You're looking from above, a fence isn't very it's thick. Actually, it's actually more easy than you'd expect because ah. it's a, often a very straight line mm. and it, it's it's very unnatural. It's definitely, it. you can see a clear difference between the natural landscape and this straight line just cutting through everything. And when you compare back to the previous image, you can see a change that mm. is like a line. Yes, right, right, yes, right. yes. So you, you okay. imagine a forest yep. and uh, in, in 2019, and then uh, the same place, you see it on satellite imagery in 2022, mm-hmm. and suddenly there's a line going straight through the forest. That's basically how you recognize these fences. Oh, okay, so it's not necessarily always on the beach, but it's somewhere near the coast. It's near the coast, okay. so it can be on a beach, it can right. be uh, yeah, al- along a harbor, Right. Uh, anything like that. And why this is interesting is basically yeah. because South Korean government predicted that we will see more defections by boat because the border with China yep. has been reinforced so much. And that is traditionally the most common route to defect. And indeed, last year we saw two defections, group defections by boat, right. both on the West Sea and East Sea yep. of, in one case, a family 
coming from Kangwondo in, in North Korea yep. to the Kangwondo in South Korea. And these are often fishing boats, aren't they? These are often fishing boats, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it seems that North Korea is attempting to make these sea defections even also harder. So mm. uh, this leaves very little options for uh, North Koreans who want to escape to actually get out of the country. Right. Now, are there also watch posts or guard posts or other installations along that 500 kilometers of new fencing that North Korea has put up on the coast? Yeah, so we also spotted a guard posts at it. Mm-hmm. We cannot see on satellite imagery how advanced these guard posts are. I recently visited the South Korean border here, the South Korean border with North Korea, and then I saw that they added pretty advanced infrared cameras, but we can't see that like basically from satellite imagery. So we don't know how advanced these guard posts are, if they are manned or not. Mm-hmm. But either way, yeah, a lot's been uh, been happening the past three years along the coast. Yep. And bad news for North Koreans who, who want to escape. Right. So the purpose here is to, to stop people from leaving the country. That's, I guess, something that North Korea has had in common with other socialist regime, regimes during the years, that it's considered a crime to want to leave and to try to leave the republic. Yeah, but the way they the, the North Korean government defended these offenses, the mm. adding offenses to, to its own population, was saying hey, we're trying to prevent COVID coming in by animals who could also enter <laughs> right. via beaches. Right. Where, was that, so, where was that defense from? That's basically what defectors told me that uh, was they were told. Distribu- oh, okay. Distributed locally uh-huh. to communities. That was, yeah, the, the main the reasoning from the state why this was necessary. Yeah. Right. You can see so, these posters up all over North Korea that have all, during COVID, that have all these animals with uh, you know the crossed out line through them. Ah, what what's the what's the sort of um animal number one that's uh, representative of having COVID in in North Korea? I don't know, but I'd have to relook at the poster. Well, okay, so I'm I'm gonna just say capybara because that's the animal that comes to mind. So imagine a capybara that's trying to swim into North Korea from China, and these fences are basically set up to keep these awful uh, infected COVID infected swimming capybaras out of North Korea. <laughs> well. Okay. Possibly, it's but, right. dangerous but, times. Yeah. I mean, this is also affects livelihood of people. Uh, well, people yes. leave leave from the live from the beach. Right, there uh, are um, in in the mudflats. There, there's a lot of crabs and shellfish that comes from under the the sea. For example, uh, under the beach, right, yeah. the sand. Yeah. So what's what's now happening is that uh, these beaches are still accessible, but usually from one entry point, ah. and that entry point will be heavily guarded. Right, and and there may be curfew times or times when that gate is open or closed. You know. Perhaps, yeah, yeah. As used to be the case along the, the coast of Kangwondo here in South Korea. Right. Right, that you used to only be able to go out uh, to the beach at certain times, and then other times the gate would be closed. They always uh, talk about trying to regain central cabinet control over things like fishing industry. And right. P- Peter, uh. Peter Ward has written about that for us in the past. I don't know when, but mm-hmm. you know about how the fishing has been a, an enterprise that people can kind of have their own business going where you, know, you pay some taxes, but it's your own kind of thing and so they want to control all that and maybe this will help them i don't know about efficiency but it'll help them get control of that quite possibly yeah now ifang you've done a lot of stories on on defectors in the last year numbers did go up last year didn't they they went up but we're still talking about you know several dozen of defectors i don't have the numbers on the top of my head but it's still many of those are people who had been in china for a long time rather than people who were recently leaving north korea yes 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 so actually people who who defect straight from north korea who escape from north korea are yeah very very few still yeah so i guess looking at the big picture coupling the erection of these fences together with the efforts to stop information coming to north korea 
it's becoming, it, it, well, these are clearly efforts by the North Korean government to really isolate the population and stop movement of people, information, other things. Yes, and one factor that we also have to take in account is that China also added a lot of uh, high-tech border security the past couple of years. So we right, got motion some, detection. And- yeah, we got photos from the border, which also a story I covered a, a couple months ago mm-hmm. that showed that the, in the past two years, China also added extensive new fencing and cameras. So all in all, very, very bad news for any North Korea, North Korean who, who wants to escape. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's very sad. It is. Uh, thanks uh, for that, Ifang. Anton, what shall we talk about with you today? So, yeah, guys, I would like to talk about this recent spat between Moscow and uh, Seoul over North Korea. So we all heard that so many uh, North Korea launched so many uh, cruise missiles over like last week. Mm, and I've lost we, count. With more than 10. Well, they don't count the missiles, right? They say multiple missiles were launched. So we know only like missile events. Let's, okay, let's, let's, say, let's call it like that. Yeah. And there's been four about about four right now. And uh, well, you can say that uh, firing missiles is sort of an escalation right on the Korean Peninsula. And kind of unexpectedly, Moscow started uh, slamming the US and South Korea for Hmm. basically provoking North Korea to start firing those missiles. And um, that is quite interesting. It started with Yoon's remarks about North Korea, uh, Yoon Sogyor, president President, of South Korea, about... North Korea being an irrational bunch because it reserved its unique right to a nuclear preemptive strike. And, of course, for some reason, Moscow just decided to take a very proactive stance, a kind of advocate for North Korea, and said a whole bunch of unpleasant stuff against Yoon Sogyor, saying that uh, whatever he was saying didn't make sense. And, of course, started pointing fingers at the U.S., saying that, look, they are actually the ones who once used nuclear weapons. And uh, cl- based the point, Moscow's point was that the South Korean president didn't know what he was saying. Of course, uh, naturally, it triggered a response from Seoul. Yeah. And there was a h- huge exchange of heated messages. Even the Russian ambassador to South Korea, the new Russian ambassador to South Korea, was summoned to the foreign ministry. Can you imagine? On the weekend, on Saturday. Right. And uh, at the sa- about the same time, about the same time, Russia's top nuclear envoy, actually, who's in charge of um, the um, Asia Pacific, and plus he also deals with nuclear issues, especially on the, on the Korean Peninsula, visited Seoul in an unannounced visit, and that which was announced only a few days afterwards. Huh. And this all adds so much confusion, so many things happening. And I think it's a very uh, interesting development. We should definitely keep uh, keep an eye on it. And it definitely adds a bit of a, a new turn to this escalation. But so Russia has been saying that this is their line for a long time now. Ever since, I mean, just going back to like talking about how sanctions should be lifted in the last couple of years, because their argument is that North Korea has a right to missile development. And such tests can be, to play devil's advocate, can be viewed as just developmental especially because South Korea has launched dozens of missiles in the last year that no one talks about, and no one calls that an escalation. So it's all about UN sanctions. But if Russia argues that, then it's really just about Yoon wading into the the argument, because then Russia will have to repeat their argument against Yoon, right? So I guess I'm curious about this balancing act that Seoul has been playing up until now. And right, like you, I think you mentioned earlier about how even just a week before the new ambassador to Seoul was saying, 
things about how important the relationship was. So right. what do you think it is about Yoon wading into it? Did he change tact? Was he not wading into it before? Well, it's extra interesting that you brought this up. Indeed, this Russian new ambassador, he tried to appease the South Korean public saying that, well, we want to maintain normal neighborly relations with Russia as long as Seoul doesn't cross certain red lines. Mm -hmm. And this red line basically is Seoul not sending lethal weapons to Ukraine. And that was the most important part in his speech that as long as Seoul stays out of it, we can be friends. And then I we think Seoul's been careful not to do that, though, haven't they? Has Seoul done that already? Even as North Korea and Russia trade weapons? Well, it, it's, it's, a, it's actually very important because we know that so, so Yoon has uh, mentioned ma many times on several occasions, he mentioned that the probability of a more proactive approach towards Ukraine, mm -hmm. but then at the, at the same time, he backtracked and try to maintain this very delicate balance. Right. And suddenly, we, of course, we hear this, his remarks towards North Korea and uh, talking about his position. It's, it's very interesting. I don't think it was very well calculated uh, right. when, he, when he actually said that. Wait, did he say something against Russia or was he only talking about, about North Korea? About North Korea. About so North it was Korea. Russia who waited in. Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, that's that's, 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 why, the, that's yeah. why it's interesting because mm. Russia basically is playing the role of this spokesperson of North Korea. Mm. And that is... That's why it's funny. And, uh, but it is kind of their line consistently, like how Russia or North Korea's weapons tests are not provocative. I, it, it is true, but at the same time, it's it's quite rare when it actually steps in like this so proactively, yeah. and especially when it comes from the Russian foreign ministry spokesperson who clearly basically calls Yoon uh, Seok-yeol out and says that he doesn't understand what he's doing. Mm. Uh, that is quite strange. And the Kremlin itself normally tries to not to weigh in in these topics and trying to maintain the balance. So it was clearly some m m either an error or a calculated uh, step within the foreign minister of Russia. When was that? How long? Uh, just a few days ago. Is it going to keep going? Or is well, it kinda, will, are they will, both trying to like... I think they're trying to diffuse the tensions because obviously it's not leading anywhere right it's she said he said mm. uh, this type of situation but there is this ongoing uh, double standard isn't there that uh, north korea has military ah, what do you call armaments shipped missiles come on yeah. missiles artillery <laughs> missiles and, and artillery and things yeah. to uh, to russia to use in its war against ukraine and uh, and then russia says to south korea don't you dare do that you know on the other side uh, there's a bit of a double standard there and, and i guess Sometimes when you're caught in a double standard or you're caught in some hypocrisy, the best response is to uh, to shout loudly and pretend it never happened. And Russia seems to be taking that approach. Yeah. Th that is a very good point. But at the same time, we need to remember that it could be a calculated also approach from Moscow by basically taking in North Korean arms mm -hmm. is a, and sending by this a signal to Seoul, Seoul not to in, get involved in Ukraine because uh, by this, North Korea gets a very nice testing grounds for mm -hmm. its missiles yeah. that can be eventually later, maybe, uh, hypothetically used mm -hmm. against South Korea. And uh, by doing, uh, by being close with North Korea, Moscow basically just sends this message that do not involve and do not get involved in this. And, and that could be part of the game. And it's uh, not only me saying this, it's several experts. So as of the time of this recording on uh, Tuesday, the, what is it today? 7th? The 6th. Is it still, are tensions still high between Moscow and Seoul? Or are, they, are we on a de-escalation de phase? Where are we? I'm still keeping my eye on it. It's shortly after this Russian nuclear envoy visited Seoul. Clearly, there were some behind-the-doors conversations. Yeah. And clearly, 
there were certain steps towards the de-escalation and uh, hopefully it will somehow just vanish into thin air but uh, who knows um, the Russian foreign ministry spokesperson is a very unpredictable woman hmm. and we all know how sometimes she can just toss very un unexpected remarks uh, out of nowhere so mm. wow. what's the name of the new Russian ambassador Georgi Zinoviev uh, so, Ambassador Zinoviev, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the NK News podcast. Absolutely, come do, over. Do come over. Uh, it's a short walk from the embassy. We'll have a chat. What does real quick? What does Seoul lose out on if if Russia decides to use its leverage and say, okay, well, even though North Korea is sending us missiles, do not. If you send missiles to Ukraine, then we will do X, Y, Z against our you know economic relations. What what will Seoul lose out on? Oil or? Uh, so are you, you're saying if Seoul. Uh, does engage in this uh, supplies of weapons yeah, to, to Ukraine. They have the justification right now because of the North Korea-Russia relation. But just because you have the justification doesn't mean Russia won't retaliate. So then they would ostensibly mm. retaliate. So how could Russia retaliate against Seoul in, in economic ways? Better well, way to say it. Well, we are, we're already seeing, right, that the South Korean uh, businesses are leaving Russia. There's uh, so many factors are being put on hold. This is quite uh, an, an important part of it. It's an important aspect because in South Korea, it, it's it's my impression, but I suppose for South Korea, the Russian market is quite important because it's not only just about Russia, it's about Central Asia and about Eastern Europe as well. Mm. And it, it's a very important hub, transportation hub. So whenever you, if you get cut off of these routes, well, you lose out. You will have to ship everything by sea. And at the same time, there's been so many joint projects, again, in the energy sector, in the transportation sector between Russia and uh, South Korea that are just too valuable to lose. Well, a question without notice, you may not be able to answer this. Is Korean Air currently flying to Russian cities and over Russian territory? No. Uh, South Korea joined uh, Western sanctions against yeah. Russia and seized all the, the civ civilian flights to <coughs> Russia, which is why uh, the only way to get actually from Russia or to South Korea is either by ferry or by third country. And uh, uh, yeah. Wow. And also, maybe this is not such as a big sector as energy, but well, here in South Korea, we, we love our fish. Mm -hmm. A lot of uh, the fish is uh, caught in Russian waters, especially ah. with global warming as yep. the seas warm up. For example, squid yep. going up north. Ah. How much of that is really North Korean then passed through the Russian market? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's another One thing question. to look into. I did see a, a story some years ago that suggested that, that within a few years, Rather than fish, we'll all have to start eating jellyfish because that's pretty much all that can grow successfully in the warmer waters around Korea. So if you're into uh, hepari nengche, start eating a lot more of it. I'm not sure. sure. I'm very fond of that diet. Oh, <laughs> fantastic. All right. Uh, Colin, what, are, what thing would you like to talk about today? Uh, well, you know, I was thinking about the, the missiles and stuff, but we already covered that. And, you know, Kim Jong-un went on some naval visits again. But maybe we talk about uh, this new luxury mall in Pyongyang. It's, it's, yes. an, it's an NK Pro story, uh, but right. but still I think we can discuss it a bit. Sure. Uh, where is it in Pyongyang? So this is on the, well, I guess what's probably been changed. Uh, the name It's right next to Tongyeol Market, which okay. means Unification Market, which yeah. I'm sure they're changing wow. the name of it. <laughs> they are, yeah. yeah, that's a, out of fashion now. Uh, yeah, and so... This is a, a mall with a lot of history. It's, a, it's like a tower building with then a five-story building underneath it. Hmm. It's right on the riverfront, the Taedong Riverfront. And it was built since 20, 
2012, I believe. Also, uh, it's been under construction for quite some time. It was time. under construction for a long time. Yeah. It had direct connections to a Singaporean company called, uh, called OCN. When you say direct connections? What do you uh, they were involved in the construction, the okay. investment. Wow. Uh, and this was a kind of a long saga that I don't remember all the details of, but it then stalled, the construction stalled for a long time. Mm. And then it finally opened up now as the Rugyong Golden Plaza. That's an, okay. And Rugyong, of course, being an ancient name for the uh, the city of Pyongyang and also the name given to that uh, massive pyramid-shaped hotel that was never finished. So what's in this luxury mall? So this opened up in 2022, but then it kind of, uh, they still added to it. And now it's got a bunch of luxury shops from foreign brands that just opened up last year. And so hmm. the, the thing about this is we've got these photos that were taken by a visiting group of Chinese entrepreneurs. Okay. And that's kind of a separate story. But basically, hmm. uh, a group of uh, 10 or so Chinese entrepreneurs made the first such trip into north korea since the pandemic uh, wow. in january so and is this kind of like a like a business delegation yeah to business look for opportunities? Chi chinese dprk china chamber of commerce ah. uh, is what they were called when they met the ambassador the chinese ambassador in pyongyang mm. but when they went to this mall they had a sign up saying welcome delegation of chinese entrepreneurs so mm. it's assumed that they're there to seek out investment opportunities yeah and of course that is not allowed under un sanctions which china is subject to and North Korea. And which China also signed on to at sure. the uh, United, Na uh, United Nations Security Council. Yeah, right. So a couple of things just about the delegation. You know, they're in there. With, there was no quarantine. Yes, they are. So it, this basically shows that North Korea, as we've seen with a bunch of other delegations, they're allowing people in. But, of course, there's no tourism and no other type of uh, pre-pandemic levels of, of entry. But it shows that they're not afraid of the, the virus. They're just keeping... Mm -hmm. close tabs on who they want to come into the country but anyway so right. they posted all these photos from inside this mall there's like mm. a, a huawei smartwatch shop that's against sanctions there's wow. there's a, a luxury watches from european brands swiss brands there's cosmetics floor there's other electronics it, so basically this has a couple things this shows that the demand for this type of stuff is still high in in pyongyang there's a this elite class mm of people that with money with money that are living this lifestyle that is completely right different than yeah. what state media says is the these are the national the goals of communism and socialist living and and you know just earlier this month kim jong-un went up on stage and said our economy is total trash he's like in in, in his many words he's like the whole country has not developed in decades all we're doing is developing pyongyang mm. we have a wealth gap not only between Pyongyang and everywhere else, but between areas inside every single city in the country. So he's saying all these things openly. And wow. then he goes up and he visits this mall secretly oh. to go shopping or whatever he does. And we don't know what he did on this visit because they didn't report in state media. How do we know he visited? How do we know he visited? So uh, one of the photos of the front of the mall, the entrance, there's a red plaque ah, above the, plaque the door that says, he's been here. That says uh, okay. Pyongyang and Kim Jong-un, yeah. and then a date. And the date says, it's very, it's hard to read, but it says either Juche 112 or Juche 113, which mm. corresponds to 2023 or 2024. And then it looks like January 11th. So it was wow. either this month or January last year. And right. one of the questions I have is: this, Is this mall intended for uh, the elites, uh, North Korean elites, or for visiting tourists? It can be both, basically. Right. So in the past, with other types of malls, there was this Taesong department store in, on the other side of Pyongyang, and that was open in 2018 and 2019. So there were a lot of instances of tourists and other people going there, and I saw a lot of organic videos taken from inside and. A, 
it really there's a lot of north koreans in there shopping around i don't know how many of them are buying and how many of them are browsing but tourists go there plus domestic yeah that's the question as well so you're saying that this chinese delegation brought all those goods all the smart watches and everything to north korea to sell to the local elites basically uh this is, delegation is there's no connection between them and the products that were in there but that's another part of the story is that there's a, a company that was formed last year in dandong in china that says on their business registration websites in china that says that their main enterprise is supplying everything to 30 stores within this mall so wow that's why out in the open you know Um, but this delegation didn't bring all this stuff. It's assumed that they're there to see what they can do with this space. Maybe there's, uh, it didn't look full. So maybe there's empty spaces that they can invest in, or maybe it's just, you know, part of the tour. What are your thoughts on uh, how they can proceed business-wise with North Korea, whether it's lucrative at all, or whether it's going to br- make them any cash? There's uh, yeah. well, And the context there is that over the years, Chinese businesses have been attracted by the prospect of making money in North Korea, but have often been disappointed and have complained that they weren't able to make a lot of money and that there were barriers to operations and they had to use certain exchange rates and things like that. So, yeah, go on, Colin. Yeah, there's a group of people that you see publicly posting a lot on Chinese social media and then another group of people that we don't have eyes on. Um, but it seems like a small group in general of people who are very enthusiastic about this type of opportunity. Maybe it's small deals. Maybe it's the kind of thing that they think can turn into something big someday. So they want to keep their roots. But just for example, you know, you got one guy who's been going in for, for years and years since before the pandemic, making small deals here and there. And right now he just went to Pyongyang and he posted, he was in a hot pot restaurant that was jam packed with people. These are, this is not, your normal class of people these are the the wealthier class mm. in a in an office tower in Pyongyang these are not the people concerned about the 500 kilometers of new fencing on the coast of North Korea presumably not yeah sometimes elite people defect but sure <laughs> and uh, he's posting about how wow this this uh, hot pot restaurant is really jam packed right now but comparing it to hot pot restaurants back home there's no table side tablet ordering system <laughs> ah. i'm going to sell the north koreans ah. the tablet table ordering system right this is the kind of thing that like they go into north korea they see how similar it is to china's mm-hmm. development and they're like they're seeing opportunities everywhere so filling in the small, gaps hmm? filling in the gaps yeah yeah for this kind of growing uh, wealthy population in Pyongyang, right. there are opportunities everywhere and then they do invest in apartment buildings and stuff I, that's pre-pandemic i don't know what the status of that is now but there are big time investments as well yeah hmm. if i can make a quick side note i mean It's very interesting you mentioned this Chinese delegation coming in, visiting a luxury mall this week, February 9th. We're supposedly going to see a group of Russian tourists enjoy uh, a ski holiday. Uh, at the Mashagryong Pass. Yes. Is it on? It, yeah. I mean, presumably it's on. I haven't heard any news that suggests it's not happening. And there's so, nothing to suggest they're afraid of it or anything. It should go on. Yes. Yeah, so the context is here that the Russian organization, right? They, right. They announced they're going to organize a trip. For, they uh, already they are fully booked. A hundred people are going. A hundred people. And it's it, all journalists or some two? No, no, no oh. journalists. Uh, well, when I talked to this travel agency, they said that about 70 people are just legit people from all across the country and about 30-ish will be some kids and uh, journalists. Well, I and hope for their sake that they have Medivac uh, uh, insurance. Yeah. But the interesting part to me, I mean, I cover humanitarian affairs and human rights, is yeah. that groups like UNICEF, <laughs> they really, really want to get their staff on the ground 
and also, you know, the World Health Organization, yep. they want to get people back in right. who have been, you know, the last eight workers have been expelled or actually they didn't expel weren't expelled, but they but left they in left, 2021. They couldn't replace new staff. They couldn't yeah. replace a new staff. So they've been sending aid to North Korea, not being able to control what happens right. to the aid on the ground. Yeah. And these people working for these organizations are desperate to get in. And yeah. North Korea is not desperate for them. No, no, for me, it's quite interesting to see how long North Korea can play this game mm. of right. allowing tourists, allowing trade delegations back in. At the same time, how long will a group like, will organizations like UNICEF accept that? You know, yeah. you, you want our aid, you want the goods, right. but you, we cannot enter. Like, I'm, I'm really curious now is like, the, the moment of tension is, is yeah. you know, is really rising. In, in, in I, that I have field. a question as well. But uh, do they want this help? Do they need this? Well, they're accepting aid? The, the the physical aid. Yeah, not so accepting the people to the, come in. What what it looks like right now is that they do want the help. Yesterday, uh, I covered a UNICEF report that basically stated that the the clinics and nationwide are, uh, do not have enough medicine to wow. treat right. childhood diseases, and they base this information on. North Korean ah. UNICEF employees. So basically, the North Korean staff is mm-hmm. signaling to UNICEF, "Hey, we need medicine." Right. So, um, yes, they need the goods. They want the goods, but well, Kim Jong Un presumably does not want the nosy foreigners to see what the dire situation is, perhaps outside of the capital. So, mm. I- I'm really curious to see how long North Korea can play this game. Not to yeah. argue at all, but just uh, I-, I wanted mm-hmm. to add a little note here too. But actually, we've been seeing a lot of uh, medicines and medical supplies coming into North Korea from China. It's millions of dollars worth um, s- supplies, and it- and it's very. Uh, it's significant numbers. So at the same time, I think it kind of allies with the state policy of, you know, improving child mortality mm-hmm. and all these uh, little things like nutrition and stuff. So clearly there, this, the state pays a lot of attention to this to, sure. to this issue. But at the same time, yeah, it's a quite of a dilemma by, by, when they can't let international organizations in. Well, yeah, I guess it's an opportunity for Russian and Chinese aid organizations and charities and NGOs to fill in, step into the breach. Right. We'll see how that goes. Okay. Anything that you wanted to add on the luxury shop there, Con? I was thinking about uh, in 2019, tourists were taken to one of the department stores in Pyongyang. I forget which one it is now, but there was a whole section in that, sort of multiple floor section in that store that was reselling Swedish furniture from a famous Swedish brand that had obviously not been brought in through normal channels, but perhaps they were reselling things that had come from China. And I wonder whether that... Uh, same thing would be going on now in the in the new what's it called the Ryugyong Golden Mall? Yeah, Golden Plaza. Golden Plaza. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is all presumed to be third-party sales. I mean, none of these stores, right. none of these stores are branded. I didn't see the what the storefront was ah. for the Huawei, but it's, I don't believe it's a Huawei branded store. They just have a Huawei branded like section, mm-hmm. and it's very easy to to get away with this. You'd have to do a real deep investigation to find out if people from these companies have links to North Korea, but they will not be doing this in the open. Right, right. So and uh, there's another weird thing, which uh, there was an electric car showroom which opened up no. on the one of the Hwasong Street last mm-hmm. year. Oh, so not in that building, but elsewhere. Yeah, elsewhere. Okay. And it's it's a domestic brand, but these are straight up BYD cars made a Chinese brand. And they just put a new 
Are they rebadging Chinese well, made? Yeah, I didn't actually see if they rebranded the cars themselves, but yeah. they the the store brand is a is a North Korean brand, so mm. they're almost always this kind of third party, different yeah. level sales. Uh, Chinese companies are are playing this balance. I wouldn't doubt that some companies are working directly through some kind of you know intermediary, but mm. you have to prove that. And yeah. Do we have any updates on the ongoing fallout from Kim Jong-un's December 31st speech putting an end to peaceful dreams of unification? Any news on that? Since they knocked down the monument... I, right, now they, ha- they still haven't announced it, have they? No, and I think... That's I, weird. I forgot, I, find who, I forgot who brought this up, but it's, it's about... I, I mean, I've seen multiple people talk about how it's about domestic messaging has to be right on such an issue it is mm. sensitive there is a legacy of a of people wanting unification in their hearts I and mean, they're taught this up until last yep. month or whatever so could be i'm interested to see if we if something ever comes out about domestic propaganda like internal propaganda yeah but no we, they haven't reported on this i've been looking in satellite imagery as recently as february 4th yes about the their promise to "Quote unquote, irrevocably sever, or I forget the word, uh, the rail line, the inter-Korean rail line. Ah, and they didn't specify which one, but it's right because it's on both coasts. Oh, it's also presumed that yeah, it would be the one at Kaesong. Okay, but I I didn't see any obvious sign in the satellite imagery. Maybe it's harder to see than right than the unification monument in the kind of medium resolution imagery. But I didn't see any sign that they like knocked down the bridge that goes right to the north of the border." Or anything like that. So it's unclear yet what they'll do with that. And I have a feeling that they'll want to play it not so irrevocably. <laughs> like, I, I've been thinking about the destruction of the arch of the what the three great principles of unification, whatever the unification arch with the two ladies touching their hands over the uh, over the road from Pyongyang to Kaesong. Been thinking about that, and you just brought up the important point there, Colin, about the internal messaging may need to be massaged more carefully than the message to the outside world. Now. Of course, North Korea, before demolishing the arch, they announced it basically to the rest of the world. Uh, well, and the... domestically. Like, okay, so they did, they did Kim's say Kim's speech did, was run in ah, Rodong Shimun. Including that part? Yeah. Okay, all right. But then it's interesting that they haven't yet shown the, the, the footage or the pictures of this domestically that the arch has been destroyed, but they know that the rest of the world, South Korea, the US, whatever, is watching through satellite photography. So they're, in a way, they kind of are signaling to the rest of the world but through a passive way, because I know that people like you will be analyzing these photos and we'll see it happening. Yeah, and I, well, yeah, and that's just a symbolic move anyway. You can argue what the what the point is, but yeah, the, I don't know what was the question exactly. It was more an observation that uh, this is that the first time that I can think of North Korea sending a signal through a passive way to the outside world before it actually announced it in its own media. Right, normally we would expect something to come out through the media and then you would see signs of it, but here they they do that with military stuff all the time though like they'll do an engine test which they know someone will probably pick up on but they don't announce it mm, and okay. that signals something that they're kind of working on with their missiles and i don't know they it yeah it's this whole topic about why sometimes they deliver a message in through state media and why sometimes they don't it's very confusing but mm. i think colin is right in this case it's a big enough event that at some point it will have to be announced right because right, i don't know i i don't know it could just be an internal propaganda there's plenty of stuff that goes that goes around internally that we don't but know I mean, about everyone presumably a lot of north queens know this arch right as a symbol of pyongyang at least people in pyongyang will know 
but maybe they can control it better through internal propaganda. Maybe it's at a meeting and they re- they raise it. They say mm. Kim Jong Un promised it. It's been destroyed. Maybe they don't show pictures or anything. Maybe it's just kind of to to Low control key. the message and mm. then pe- and then to like give warnings about what they should and shouldn't. You know, I don't know if it's explicit or not. And then maybe they won't talk. But if they just put it on the front page of the Rodung, then people are gonna like talk about it. Right. Maybe I I don't know. I'm just mm. guessing. Yeah. But uh, maybe they just want to control it more. And maybe they want it to be so visceral. Maybe mm-hmm. it's enough to just say it's gone. And it's there, and then it's gone. It's a lot better than, like, knocking it down, because that's kind of maybe unnecessary from right. the domestic perspective. Have we seen the names of any other uh, institutions or bodies being changed or any other sort of uh, re-ba- rebadging, there's renaming a, there's of There's a lot. I think it's not totally worth our time to keep track of it at this point but i think most of it is going to be changed i mean if they're they're not just going to keep the name like tongue market it's going to be changed uh, they're going to change the name of the streets they're going to change the they're blurring out the the peninsula on tv now whenever they re-air old music videos that mm-hmm. used to have it it's like it's just their line now and so everything is going to be changed i'm sure Okay. All right. Well, we have time for one more story or theme to uh, talk about before we wrap up today's roundtable. Anton, I believe you're working on an interesting interview. Uh, Can you give us a little preview of uh, what we can expect when this story gets filed in the next day or two? Well, so we we just discussed that this first Russian group in many years uh, is going to visit um, North Korea. They're going to Pyongyang and then to this Mashignon ski resort on the East Coast. And um, before that... Our, we we reached out to this incredibly interesting person, a Russian guy who went to North Korea twice, but it's not very surprising, but as a teenager. Uh-huh. And he spent two summer breaks. Uh, he went to one of those uh, kids' camps. Exactly, so camps. the Sondowan children's camp. Wow. And he's been he he went there twice. He spent two summer breaks there, mm. um, and uh, he shares his experience of how it was, uh, what to see, what to expect, his little adventures. He talks about uh, how North Koreans, what what their attitude was towards mm. Russian uh, kids. Uh, Wait, so th- there, these camps have North Korean youths and foreign youths mingling together very good question because yes indeed so they try at least before the pandemic they yeah. try to maintain this international crowd uh-huh. so there would be a russians uh, like regular tourists like some kids just you know their parents just would send them to summer camp like any other parents would do like hey, w- w- what's wrong about it it's just a north korean camp i mean yeah. and <laughs> and and also there would be like kids of the russian diplomats stationed in the country oh yeah and also uh, kids of elite families uh, most most of them related to communist party uh, uh, functionaries uh, from Vietnam, Mao, you name it, even some... According to this guide, even some royalty from Nigeria or oh, something. Oh, so some African African, uh, kids uh, too. Okay. African countries were represented as well. Wow. And um, yes, and uh, this person talks about his experience. And currently, it, it is it is very interesting how life basically tosses everything around. He went to North Korea. He actually never got really that into North Korea. He studied Cambodia, and he researches Cambodia at a, gr- a, a graduate level right wow. now. He speaks perfect Khmer, wow. and he uh, escaped Russia because of the well of the the Kremlin's policies towards Ukraine and the military, the special campaign. military operation. Exactly, right. let's call it that way. Okay. <laughs> he, he didn't want to get drafted. Basically, he didn't want to get drafted. Apparently, oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, that, 
do at these camps? Do they do any farm work, any uh, any building, any labor? Well, I cannot disclose too much because then I wouldn't have a piece, right? right so okay, I will just say one thing, uh-huh. w- one memorable thing that uh, he shared with me. His first day in this camp, the uh, all the kids were gathered around uh, at this uh, little square early in the morning, and their ritual was is that they had to take broomsticks and sweep the ah. dirt from the pedestal of the of the statues of the great leaders of the country they would and trust the international kids to do that, that? They, they showed them and then they had to like wow. kind of participate in this ritual then it became yeah, then, it be- surprising, then it? it became optional but he said there was one a russian teenager who got really into the juche spirits and wow. he actually would go there pretty much every day to clean the statues of the great leaders because you oh, know, very interesting and juche is, how long ago is in was your this? heart <laughs> how long ago did he go on these camps? Uh, two weeks each, each trip. Right, but uh, how many years ago? Uh, how many? Years? Oh, that was 15, 2015 and 2016. Okay, so all right. So during the Kim Jong-un era. Yeah, yeah, it's already, yeah. Kim Jong-un was already in office. <laughs> oh, well, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. Do, uh, give us a, a little teaser. Do you include any information about the prospects of interracial dating at these uh, summer camps? Wow, that's a good place? idea. Maybe I should add it. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And this person's going back on this trip next week? Oh yeah, he's not going. Uh, yeah, he, I think he's he's, he's not going. He's safe in Canada right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, we'll definitely have to look out for that story. And that's coming up in the next couple of days. Right. right? That's right. true. Great. Okay. Well, thank you, Anton Sokolin, Ifang Bremer, and Colin Zwerko for coming on the Roundtable podcast for February. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Dive deep into the heart of South Korea's most pressing stories with the weekly Korea Pro podcast. Hosted by Jongmin Kim and John Lee, this weekly 15-minute podcast is your source for thorough analysis on all things ROK. From intricate politics to dynamic cultural shifts, we cover it all. Tune in every Friday on koreapro.org, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Korea Pro Podcast, Insight not just information. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of our podcast episode for today. Our thanks go to Brian Betts and Alana Hill for facilitating this episode and to our post-recording producer genius, Gabby Magnuson, who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions, and fixes the audio levels. Thank you and listen again next time.